0: Good morning. good morning, God is good all and all the time. Boy, have you, uh, as, I, as we were singing that, I, I'm just uh, overwhelmed at the grace of God. Think about that, how marvelous is his love for me. Aren't you thankful Jesus loves you? Amen. That old kid's song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible and I'm thankful for the grace of God. I'm thankful for the love of Jesus in my life. And, and welcome to church. Glad that you chose to worship with us today. Uh, my name is John. And if you don't know, I'm blessed to be the pastor here at the church. And so those of you who are in the building, thank you for being here today. And uh, those of you who are online, welcome as well. I'm going to invite you to turn to Revelation 2. Revelation 2, we're going to uh, continue our series. We are in the series entitled, The Church is Essential." And the question we're asking, though, is has the church been effective? The church is essential because Jesus is essential. I believe the church is the hope of the world. I want to put a disclaimer on that. I believe the church, when done right, is the hope of the world. And so that's what we want to do. We want to do church the way Jesus asked us to do church. Um, again, the church is essential because Jesus is essential. And so I want to give you just a quick review. Maybe you're new with us this morning and I see a few new people here and then I'm sure there's some online as well. And so quick review, just we've been using one word to kind of highlight or one key word of each week's message. And the first one was the word glory. And we understand that as a church we are to display the glory of God. That was revealed in Revelation chapter 1 when John received a vision from Jesus, The second word is love. And this was a letter to the church of Ephesus. And, and Jesus, remember, he said, you have left your first love. And so we understand that as a church we are to glorify God, we are to display his glory. We can display God's glory best by loving him most. And so we want to pursue him. The, the next word we looked at, the key word was death. And the church at Smyrna, the little statement we made was that we are to be faithful until death, to continue to be faithful to Christ. Uh, last week the word was truth and so we understand we're supposed to declare and we're supposed to defend the truth. This was a letter written to the church of Pergamus. and today in Revelation 2 we're going to start really in verse 18 but it kind of carries this same theme, this idea of truth and, and the one word for today if you are taking notes is the word holy that we are set apart, that we are set apart for a purpose, that we are to be pure, we're supposed to be like Christ. And so God has always since in the beginning, and we see it specifically when he approached Abraham, that God has always had a group of people that he has set apart, that he has declared holy, and the purpose was for them to point to the glory of God. Uh, if you, if you um, want to reference or write down Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, it'll, it'll be on the screen or on the TV this morning, but it says, again, speaking of the nation of Israel, for you are a holy people, to the Lord. You are a set apart people to the Lord. You are a holy people to the Lord, your God. The Lord, your God, has chosen you to be a people for Himself, a special treasure above all peoples on the face of the earth. And you see that theme all the way through the Old Testament that God had a chosen people, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. They were set apart, holy, and they were to display the glory of God. Peter uses that same terminology in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. And listen to the words of Peter and how similar they sound. And now he says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And now he's not speaking and referencing the Jewish people or the nation of Israel. He's referencing the church. The church being those who are followers of Jesus Christ. And he says, you are holy. You are set apart. His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you. Out of darkness into marvelous light. What? What? There's so much theology in that one last part of the verse. We could spend the rest of the, the morning on that. But, but just think about that. That we are set apart. We are pure. We are holy. To be used of God. And this verse is to proclaim what happened in our life. That we were called out of darkness into light. That we were brought from death into life. That we were once... Uh, orphaned have now been adopted aren't you thankful that you have been adopted into the god's family and so the goal here for us is to be holy we are set apart we are pure and so in this letter beginning in verse number 18 to the church at thyatira we see that uh, similar thing that we saw last week in the church of pergamos and i'll just point out real quick in verse number 19 it's uh, jesus talking good about the church i know your works uh, your love, your service, your faith, your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. And so Jesus is saying to the church, you, you love people well, you serve people well, you're, you've been faithful until the end, and all these great things, your works are good. And, and then the last part of that verse is implying here that you're getting better at it. And for us to apply that is this year we are serving more faithfully than last year. This year we are loving people better than last year. And so this, this idea of good job, you're doing great. And then again we see in verse 20 it kind of shifts a little bit. He says, but, but, nevertheless I have this against you that you are, t-. so here's what we're going to kind of walk through is that they were, the church there in Thyatira was tolerating sin. They were tolerating sin, and we made this statement last week that applies even to this church this morning that we look at. You are either pursuing holiness or you are drifting towards worldliness. You're either pursuing holiness or drifting towards worldliness, and the church here at Thyatira was doing a lot of good things, a lot of good works, but they were drifting towards worldliness. Worldliness. We've made this statement the very first week, my sin will dim the glory of God in his church. And and when we think about the personal responsibility of my own life to check myself, the sin of my life, because my sin, my personal sin, can dim the glory of God in his church. Then what we would kind of build on that statement this morning as we look at the church of Thyatira is this, our failure as a church to deal with sin can also dim the glory of God in his church, that we cannot tolerate sin. So if you, you know, got the, the big idea or the sermon in a sentence, here it is, okay? So walking with Jesus is more important than working for Jesus. Walking with Jesus is more important than working for Jesus. Now I'm not discounting that we do the good works because Jesus was thanking them and he was praising them for it, but nevertheless, and before we you know, get into the message this morning and, and kind of begin to look at the issue that Thyatira was dealing with, I want to go back to the way we ended the message last week. Last week we talked about, remember, confronting sin and that as a, a follower of Jesus, it's my responsibility, especially for those in our church. And, and this is not the pastor's responsibility because he's the pastor. It's our responsibility because we're followers of Jesus. And we have covenanted together as a member of this church that as a member of a church, it's my responsibility to confront sin. And, and when I do that, we have to, we have to check ourselves first. And so here's the verse we kind of ended on last week. Psalms 139, verses 23 and 24. And, and David is this prayer, and he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. So before we jump into the scripture this morning, could we just pause for a moment? I want you to bow your head just for a second. Right where you're at. And I want you to look inward. Lord, reveal sin in my life. Because as a church, we cannot deal with other people's sin until we first deal with our own sin. God, I ask this morning, as we just pause for a second this morning, that you would allow us, that you would reveal to us sin in our own life. And Lord, as we see sin and as you reveal sin, may we respond properly in humility and repentance. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen. So, you've, we've said this every week, the last, um, the last verse of this chapter is the last verse of this letter, and it ends just like all the other letters. Verse 29 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, if you've been watching online, you should already know right now what you need to do, that you need to type on there, and it's just this declaration this morning. God, I'm listening. God, I am going to pay attention. And God, when I hear from you, I'm going to Respond. And so, just like we've done every week here in person, on the count of three, let's say that together. Again, it's not just, let's not just say the words, let's really make this a prayer of our heart. God, I want to hear from you today. Are you guys ready? Shake your head, ready to go. Online, give me thumbs up. Ready? One, two, three. God, I'm listening. All right, let's read. Verse 18, we'll begin. And it says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and His feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, your service, faith, your patience, and as for your works, the last are more than the first. And, And kind of as a church, we wish it just stopped there, right? Just bragging on them. Verse 20. Nevertheless, all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they, I, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have until I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, a rod of iron, excuse me. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as also I have received from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of the church says. And so the question we want to we answer this morning is, how can we as individuals, how can we as a church be holy? This is the call to holiness. The first one is this. If you're taking notes, number one, fear God's discipline. Fear God's discipline. And so we see here, just like in every other letter, the very first part, we see another description of who Jesus is the image of Christ. Remember in Revelation 1, and John saw the vision and all this description of who Jesus is. And then at the beginning of each letter, we see a partial recap of that description. And here's the recap. In verse number 18, he says the things, these things says the Son of God. We see in chapter 1 he uses the word Son of Man. Here he's using the Son of God. And we put these two together, what Jesus is saying through John is that I am completely human and I am completely God. There's also a specific thought to this church in Thyatira. The city here was really the center or the guardian who was known to be the guardian of the city. Was Apollo. Okay, not Apollo Creed, but Apollo the Greek uh, in Greek mythology. This is Apollo, the son of, anybody know Greek mythology? Zeus. He's the son of God. Apollo is known as the son of God, which they worshiped in this city. And I would say son of small g God. So you see what Jesus is doing? Jesus is saying, no, I am the Son of God. I am the King of kings, the Lord of lords, one who is and was and is to come, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I am the one to be worshipped. And how relevant is that phrase for this church and for this city. He goes on to say, eyes like a flame of fire. And what he's really referencing here, again, this is in chapter 1. He's saying, I have all authority. I see all things. Here's a scary thought. God knows your thoughts. God sees your quote-unquote secret sins. God is watching. He goes on to say, whose feet are like fine brass. In other words, he is pure, he is holy, he is without sin. And because he is pure and holy and without sin, he is the only one who can punish sin. He is the righteous judge. And we think about his holiness and we think about the fact that he's going to judge all sin, we should fear the discipline of in fact that's why he sent jesus what we talked about what we sang about how marvelous the love of christ because he who was holy and sinless and perfect died in in my place So that I couldn't be holy and declared holy. So at the moment of my salvation, when I was 17 years old, and I placed my faith in Jesus, at that very moment, I was declared holy. I was declared righteous. And positionally, I am holy before Christ. I am holy because when God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Christ upon me. And thank God for that. Now, practically, I am not holy. And practically, you are not holy but we're always moving towards holiness. We're always pursuing holiness because if we don't pursue holiness, our natural drift is always going to be towards worldliness. Holiness. I love this statement of this character of who God is. Jerry Bridges says it this way, The holiness of God is the perfection of all other attributes. Now that's kind of deep, so I'll let you think about that this week, right? But Todd Wagner says it another way. It's pretty much the same statement, just worded a little different. He says, holiness either contains or reveals all of God's other traits. What do what these two statements mean? Let's just think for a moment. All right, so God is good and all the time. Well, how do we know God is good? Because his character is, he is holy. How do we know God is just? Because he is holy. How do we know God can be trusted because he's all-powerful? Because he is holy, and he cannot do anything that is wrong. And we understand, as followers of Jesus, I'm thankful for Romans It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. When I stand before God, the final judgment, he's going to see the righteousness of Christ in me. But as I live on this earth, my goal is to pursue holiness. And when I step out of line of holiness, guess what God does? Pushes me back into line. And sometimes that looks differently. He speaks specifically to sin or to sickness in verse 22. But listen to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 and 6. And you have forgotten exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. Again, we're talking about relationship. He's talking to followers of Jesus. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. That doesn't sound fun, but don't despise it. Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord, what's the next word? Loves. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. In other words, the discipline of God... It reveals relationship. Discipline of God in my life reveals relationship, and it's always motivated by love. But that's a scary statement. Discipline reveals relationship. Therefore, if I claim to be a follower of Jesus, and I'm living in habitual sin, and God doesn't discipline me, then I'm not in relationship. Because discipline is always a result of relationship, always motivated by love. And so as we think about this thought, how can I walk in holiness? The first, fear God's discipline. The second, if you're taking notes, practice church discipline. This is where it gets scary, right? Practice church discipline. And, and when we think about church discipline, so he, he, here he talks about uh, Jezebel and the spirit of Jezebel and the person of Jezebel. And, and you can read a lot of commentaries on whether this is a literal person, a literal female named Jezebel. In fact, some commentators, I'm really scared to say this, but some commentators even say they think that Jezebel is the pastor's wife. I don't think that. They think that, okay, that Jezebel is a pastor's wife here at Thyatira. Not, not here, but in Thyatira. I'd clarify that. And, and yet... Um, most scholars say that even if it is a specific person that they're referencing here, most likely her name would not have been Jezebel. Nobody's calling their daughter Jezebel. Right? No, no good parent, right? Because all the way back in First, uh, first Kings 16... We see who Jezebel was. Jezebel married King Ahab, and Ahab was living in sin by entering into this marriage because God had said don't marry other uh, pagan nations, don't intermarry. And the reason was God told them was because you will fall for their false gods, and they will lead you into idolatry and immorality. And that's exactly what's referenced here in the Scriptures. I think it has more to do with the spirit of Jezebel, the teaching of Jezebel. Jezebel, And it says here in the text, specifically, what was she leading the church to do? Sexual immorality and also idolatry. The same things that were mentioned in the last letter to Pergamos, and, and we kind of summarize those two things into that one thought of worldliness. Leading the church to live like the world. And so this church, although they had good works, were tolerating sin. Specific sin it's referencing here. Josh Smith says this, um, and it's kind of a convicting quote. The church silently supports everything it openly tolerates. The church silently supports everything it openly tolerates. And in the culture we are currently living in, it becomes very difficult. It seems like it's been very difficult for churches to take a stand on things. Things because they don't want to offend anyone. But here's the reality. Scripture is offensive. The gospel is offensive. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am life. There's no other way. There is no other truth. There is no other life. There is no way to heaven except through Jesus, and that is offensive. So the church silently supports everything and openly tolerates it. That is why the church must speak against racism. Because God says, we are created, we are all created in His image. we are one in Christ. That's why the church should speak against abortion, because God is the author of life, and we should protect life. That is why the church should speak against the culture and the country trying to redefine what marriage is. We understand what Scripture says marriage is. It's one man with one woman with a covenant of a lifetime. That is God's plan for marriage and what the church openly or silently supports it openly tolerates that's why the church should speak about any sex outside of marriage we have a tendency as a church to pick the ones we don't like and we talk about that but all sex outside of marriage is wrong and the church should stand for truth and so the scary part about church discipline here is because I think churches don't do it enough, churches don't do it right, and churches do it in the wrong spirit. But when we think about Matthew 18 talking about church discipline, I think it also paired with the letter we wrote last week to Pergamos, is the first step in church discipline is not the pastor getting up and calling out someone's sin from, and bringing them before the church. That's the last step. The first step is that you as a follower of Jesus Christ, you as a member of a local church, when you see someone in the church who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ drifting towards worldliness, what is your responsibility? Not to call the pastor and tell him to deal with it. It's for you to go talk to them. Again, we're assuming that you have a relationship with them. Okay? That you have a friendship with them. You are a member of God together. And you go and you talk to them. If that doesn't work, then it says you're supposed to get another friend of them who is a follower of Jesus Christ, and then you would go talk to them. If that doesn't work, then what get to you, do you get to do now? Drag me into the middle of it. And most of the time, if you would go to someone and speak the truth in love, it's never going to get to the public part. The problem is, and, and I'm just as guilty as you, we often, many times, most of the time, we fail to even deal with it privately. And so as a church, what we don't deal with, we are saying is okay. And it's not okay. Again, truth and love. So truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. In other words, truth without love is legalism. And love without truth is liberalism. And unfortunately, churches tend to go on either one of those extremes. And they never meet in the middle. Truth with love. I'm going to fear God's discipline. I'm going to practice church discipline. Number three, I'm going to repent of hidden sin. So this seems like a really heavy message so far, right? And I'm supposed to go confront everyone I see and all these things. And, and, but look at verse 21. If we read it quickly, we don't stop and we don't pause and see what is really taking place here. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual morality and she did not repent. What what Jesus is saying, listen, my grace, my grace, my grace, I've been calling to her to repent. I've been asking her to repent. I've been pointing that she needs to repent. And I'm thankful that 1 John says, if we confess, if we repent, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and all of our unrighteousness. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God in your life? And so the call for us, even this morning, if if we prayed, God, search my heart, know my my, my wicked ways, is there any anxiety in me, God, is there sin in my life? As we started the message praying that prayer, if there is something God is speaking to you about, maybe this morning is you know someone that you need to have a conversation with. And God is saying, Are you going to respond? Maybe you're in a relationship you shouldn't be into, and God has said, Are you going to repent? And over and over, God always gives, I'm so thankful, God always gives us second chances. And for most of us, third and fourth and fifth. And and so God is saying, I've been giving her time, I've been giving her time, I've been asking the church to repent. And and yet, here's what we have to understand. The grace of God and the grace of God and the grace of God, but at some point, God's going to discipline. And as we said last week, that's why it's so important for us as followers of Jesus the most loving thing that I can do is to confront somebody in truth and love so that God doesn't have to deal with it. And the grace of God is, extends to us. I love this statement. Richard Sibbs says, There is more mercy in Jesus than sin in you. There's more mercy in Jesus than sin in you. Repentance for salvation is a one-time thing. Repentance for sanctification is a is a lifelong journey. For me, it's a daily journey. I'm thankful that when I gave my life to Christ at the age of 17, Ephesians says that I'm sealed until the day of redemption, that I cannot lose my salvation. Salvation is a one-time prayer, a one-time repentance, but sanctification, becoming holy, godly, is for me sometimes, oftentimes, a daily repentance. It's a lifelong journey of pursuing the holiness of God. So the simple thought is this morning is God revealed something in your life that you need to repent of. We need to fear God, we need to practice church discipline, we need to repent. The the last one, hold fast. Similar to th- to to Pergamus. Be faithful unto the end. Revelation chapter 2 verse 24. Let's let's skip to to verse 25. He says, "But hold fast what you have until I come." Keep being faithful. Keep pursuing holiness. Keep pursuing Christ. Verse 26 And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a wrought iron. And verse 27 here is just a quote from Psalms chapter 2, which is a messianic psalm, and it's quoting, it's referencing Jesus. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. You realize at one point in history, in the future, Jesus is going to set all things right. He's going to have a new kingdom, a new heaven, a new earth, and we, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are going to rule and reign with Jesus forever. And that's why he's saying, Hold fast. In verse 28 says, and I will give him the morning star. Who's the morning star? It's Jesus. Our reward is eternity in the presence of Jesus. And again he ends, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If our view of grace as a church allows us to be casual about sin, we have the wrong view of grace. I'm thankful for grace, but when, I, when we sang this morning the, about the love of Christ and his amazing grace, you know what it challenges me to do when I, when I, again, as we think about Revelation 1, when we get a proper perspective of who Jesus is, when we get a proper perspective of his love for us, it always leads me to humility and repentance. When we are casual about sin in our own life and in the life of our church, what are we saying about the cross of Jesus? When we're casual about sin, we're calloused about the cross. And I. I do not want to be that but when I look at my life sometimes I am let's repent the big idea walking with Jesus is more important than working for Jesus what do people see as a church we're to display the glory of God as an image bearer of Christ I'm to point people to Jesus when people look at me they should see Jesus but what do, they, what do they see when they look at you? What do they see when they look at our church? Do they see the holiness of God? Do they see a, a clear picture of who Jesus is? I'm going to ask the band to make their way up this morning. I, I want to read this statement. I, I heard this a long time ago. I didn't really do any research about uh, how long this has been in existence. But I, I don't you love, I love the internet most of the time. Like I'm really good at remembering parts of things. So I'm just typing in a chapter each day, and what I'm looking for comes up right there. Thank you, Lord. Here, here it is. And I want, I want you to wrestle with the thoughts of this. You're writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by the deeds that you do, by the words that you say. Men, read what you write, whether faithless or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? I want to pursue Holiness. So that I can give people a clear image of who Jesus is. So people can see his righteousness in me. His holiness in me. What did the, the verse in First Peter say? I'm going to walk in holiness so I can proclaim the goodness of Jesus. Because he brought me from darkness to what? Marvelous light. Would you pray with me this morning? God, I pray that in our own life today that I would be reminded that I have been brought out of darkness into light and that would challenge me to pursue holiness. Lord, and as we pursue holiness, I pray that we would be a a proper reflection of who you are. And, Lord, this morning, we, want, we just want to close our service this morning by singing of how great you are. And, Lord, may the reminder of your goodness and your greatness and the, and the cost of the cross challenge us to pursue holiness, Lord. Lord, it is in your name we pray. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning, and I want to ask you just to worship. We, we serve a great God, don't we? You can do better. We serve a great God, don't we? How great is our God. It's an old familiar hymn I'm sure most of you know. Let's sing of the greatness of God today.